So I want to ask you a question, and boys and girls, I want you to listen, and I want you to listen very carefully, because this is a really important question, and I want to hear if you have an answer uh, to the question. Okay? Have you ever done anything to make yourself look good? Have you ever done something maybe to make other people like you? Do any of you boys and girls know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done anything because you wanted someone else to like you or to be pleased with you? Anybody, have any of you guys ever done anything at all because somebody else wanted you to do it or because you thought it would make them happy? Hmm, what are some things that we do? Now, I know the kids may have a hard time answering this question, but I know that if I ask the adults to answer the question, and all of the adults in here can tell me things that you have done just to please someone else, just to make someone else like you. Maybe it's the clothes that you wear, okay? Now, I don't know that any of you would wear that shirt, but maybe Nico might, I don't know. Um... Maybe you wear certain clothes because you think, you know, if I wear these clothes, then, then other people are going to like me or they're going to think well of me. Or, or maybe it's not clothes. Maybe it's music. Maybe you say, you know what, I want to listen to certain music or I want to sing a certain song because I think that that is what other people like and that's what they want to hear and they will like it if I do that. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's I'm going to watch this movie or this show because that's what other people think is important and I want to make them like me. And we think sometimes about that. What can I do so that other people will like me? And I'm sure that all of us have at some time or other done something, whether it's clothing or listen to music or show or, or, or something else, okay? Something that way that we've spoken or a way that we acted or something that we've done just because we want to please others. Well, I'd like to look at a passage of Scripture this morning from the book of Galatians. And boys and girls, I'm going to need help reading some verses. And I know some of you are really good readers, okay? So I'm going to call on you, and, I'll, and I'm going to try to have some of you help me read a couple of verses this morning, okay? But we're going to be looking in the book of Galatians. So for all of you adults, if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up to Galatians chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. And um, if, <laughs> if you haven't figured it out so far... Um, yes, I am. Uh, I am trying to craft my messages so that I can so that I can preach them to the children. But most of the time, if we're looking for a message to, to preach to children, we don't go to a book like Galatians because it's not usually the easiest book for us to find a children's message in. And uh, so I, I do have to put that caveat. I'm not picking my passages to teach just because they're easy ones for the kids. But I am going to try and preach a message that the kids can understand this morning. And the kids can learn something from. And I want to say, and we've been doing this now for a few weeks, so some of you adults, maybe you've got, got the hang of it now. But back on the table, back there, uh, next to where Albert and Jerome are sitting, I think it's a blue piece of paper back there. It's called Going Deeper into God's Word. And on the top it has Galatians 6, 12 through 15. That's the one for today. If you'd like to see a little bit more of the detail of this, if you'd like to understand a little more of the background of this, and some of the things that we're not going to talk about because it's just not going to get down to the kids' level, that stuff's back there. You can take a copy of that. If we run out and you need an extra copy, just come and see me. I'll be, be glad to run you one off. So I want to think about, though, boys and girls, as we look at this passage of Scripture and these verses, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a group of people who were trying to make themselves look good so that other people would like them. 
They were trying to do something so that other people would think well of them and be pleased with them. And sometimes we do things like that, and they're not always bad things. And sometimes we might be tempted to do things that are wrong so that other people will think well of us. And that's kind of the situation that we have here in Galatians chapter 6. These people weren't wearing certain clothes. They weren't necessarily talking in a certain way. What they were doing was they were doing a certain religious ritual in order to make the Jews happy. The problem is, these people were more concerned with what other people thought about them than with what God thought. And that was... And and what was even worse than that is that they were trying to lead other people away from trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so I want to begin by reading this passage. So boys and girls, I need you to listen. And Nikita, I know you're a really good reader, so I'm going to ask you to read one verse when we get there, okay? So we're going to have you read verse 14. We're going to start in verse 12 of Galatians chapter 6. And here's what the passage says. We're picking it up in the middle, I understand. But but Paul says this, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Now we're at verse 14. Nikita, can you read this verse nice and loud for us? But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Then verse 15 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Boys and girls, I want you to listen really, really carefully this morning, okay? I know you're filling out your paper and you're coloring the paper, and that's good. You do that, but I want you to listen while you do that because I want to explain the background here, okay? Now, you guys just color your papers, and if this goes over your head, that's okay, but the adults need to hear this. In verse 12, Paul talks about those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh. These were Jews who wanted to look good to others. They wanted to impress others. They wanted to show them just how spiritual they were. But Paul also tells us here in verse 12 that their real motivation was the motivation of fear. They were afraid of what would happen if they told the rest of the Jews that they were followers of Jesus Christ. They knew that if they embraced Jesus Christ, this man who had been crucified... They knew that if they embraced Him, that all of their Jewish family would turn against them. That their friends wouldn't be their friends anymore. That they would lose business contacts. They knew that this would cost them very dearly. They were facing persecution if they publicly embraced Jesus Christ and Him alone. Paul even says in verse 13 that none of the Jews kept the entire law. He says there in verse 13, right? Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. He says, now these people, they make a really big show about their religious 
their, their religious commitment. But they don't even keep the law. Paul makes that very clear. They talk about how important keeping the law was. They talked about just how important it was to follow the law, but then they don't even do it, Paul says. They're hypocrites. They just wanted, verse 13, he explains this, they just wanted to convince the other Christians to join them in keeping the law, or at least claiming to keep the law, so that the rest of the Jews would think that they were pretty good. Would, would treat them well. They were trying to protect themselves from persecution because they wanted to please the rest of the Jews. Now here's the question then that this passage brings up and I want to look at today. Can we be followers of Jesus Christ and still please the world? This is the question. Is it possible for us to be Christians and still make the rest of the world like us? That's what they were trying to do. On one hand, they wanted to say, we're Christians. We believe that Jesus is the Savior. We believe in Jesus Christ. But then they would go back to their Jewish family and say, but we, are, we want to keep the law. We're good Jews and we're going, to, we're going to be circumcised and keep the law. And so they wanted both. They wanted to say, you know what, we're Christians but we also want to make sure that our, our family and our friends and everyone else doesn't think we're too far out there. Doesn't think we're just too radically committed to this whole Christian thing. We want to make sure that everyone else is still pleased with us. And so that brings us to this question. Is it possible for someone who's a Christian to still please the world? To make those other people around them, those people who aren't believers, who aren't Christians, is it possible for us to, to please them, to make them like us? Can we have the best of both worlds? Okay. That's the question. And that's the question I want to ask today, but it's also the question I think that this passage before us answers in a very simple way, although it's maybe not quite as simple when we first look at it. Now, kids, you just keep on coloring. You guys are doing great. You're all doing a really good job so far. There are a lot of people today, though, and I want us to think about this before we get into this too far, because these people, we call them Judaizers, that Paul was writing about in the book of Galatians. We don't probably deal with a whole lot of Judaizers today. I don't know when the last time was that you met a Judaizer who was walking around saying, be a Christian and oh, by the way, keep the law of the Old Testament. Although there are, there are some of them out there today. But, but there are a lot of people today who are very much like the Judaizers were. These are people who call themselves Christians. They even claim to accept Jesus and the cross. But, but... Their goal and their desire is to soften the offensiveness of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They talk about Jesus. They might even talk about Jesus dying on the cross. But they also, they don't want to admit that as they stand before God, they're completely helpless to do anything to please Him. 
There are churches today where people talk about the cross, they talk about Jesus Christ, and they talk about Him dying, and they, you know, they, they celebrate all the holidays of Good Friday, and they, and they talk about the death of Christ and the crucifixion, and they read the Scriptures, but they are still not willing to admit that when they stand before God, they have nothing to offer Him that He'll accept. These people are like the Judaizers. They, they still want to hold on to their good works. They still want to hold on to their own religion and say, you know what? I can do these things and God will be pleased. I can get baptized. Or I was baptized and God will be satisfied with that. He'll accept me because I was baptized. Or I was a church member and He'll accept me because I'm a church member. Or I go to church on Sunday and therefore God will accept me because I go to church and I, I'm a good person. Or I'm a good neighbor and I and I help out and I you know I I I, I try to, to to you know donate money to the food pantry and I try to, to do good things and I try to help out when my neighbor needs help and, and I'm a good person and so certainly when God looks at me, he'll accept that. He'll look at that and he'll think, you know what, that's pretty good. And you're okay, and I like you. These are essentially they're essentially falling into the same error of the Judaizers. Thinking that somehow, yeah, yeah, I know Christ died on the cross. And sure, the Bible says He died for sin. But I'm a pretty good person. And I can do these things and God will be happy with me. And what they don't realize, what they don't realize is that what they're really saying is that Jesus' death on the cross the crucifixion? I don't want to accept that. I'm not going to receive that. I don't think that was really for me because I am really okay even without it. I can do these things and God will be happy with me. And I don't really need that cross. I don't really need Jesus' death. See? We have a lot of people... Now, it's... The way I'm saying this, maybe it's not just them out there. That's really the concern that I have this morning. Maybe it's not just those people out there who refuse to accept the offense of the cross. Maybe it's some of us right here. Maybe it's someone sitting in this room who up to this point, up to this point, yeah, you, you may even say, yeah, I believe the Bible says Jesus died on the cross. I believe that's all true. He died, died for my sin. Yes, true, true, true. But when push comes to shove, what you're still holding on to is your own good, your own work, your own merit. And you're saying, you know what? I'm just not quite ready to stand before God and say, okay, it's, it's nothing. I have nothing to offer. I'm empty and I got nothing. And all I all I can do is cling to that cross. That's it. That's all I have. Now, maybe that's you today. If so, I want you to consider Paul's response. Because that's what this passage, I believe, is about. Okay, boys and girls, I need you to listen really carefully because we're going to start getting to our notes here. And I want you to remember so you can fill these out. 
In verse 14, Paul tells us, and I think there's really, there's really kind of two aspects to Paul's response here. We'll see one in verse 14 and one in verse 15, and then we'll come back and we'll just answer the question generally from the passage. We'll try to tie it all together at the end. But in verse 14, Paul tells us this. And I know this is deep and profound. This will just blow you away. A true Christian boasts only in his Savior's cross. A true Christian boasts only in his Savior's cross. Now, why do I say a true Christian? That, I say that because there's a lot of false Christians. And the danger is that we might think we're a Christian when we're not really. And so I want to be real, really simple, real practical this morning. I want to be rubber meets the road here. This is the question. Because a true Christian, a genuine Christian, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ boasts in one thing and one thing only, and that is his Savior's cross. That's what Paul says in verse 14. Look at what he says there. God forbid that I should boast except. Except in what? In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say this, I'm, I'm not... I want you to understand, I'm not adding something new to Scripture here and saying, you know what, there's another qualification. Yeah, you have to believe by faith in Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, and you've got to boast in the cross. How many of you boasted in the cross, now you're saved? I'm not saying that. I'm not adding on an extra like little thing here, an extra wrinkle. If you want to be a Christian, then we have to have like a boasting platform over here and you stand up on it and you boast in the cross of Christ. Okay? Not, that's not what it is. What I'm saying is that a true follower of Christ does not seek to glorify himself or to put on a good show for others. Remember what I just said about verses 12 and 13. What was going on? What is Paul responding to? A group of people who are trying to put on a good show. That's how he describes them there in verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. To say you want to put on a good show of how spiritual you are. Paul says, for a true Christian, I don't do that. He says, I won't boast in myself. He says, I only boast in one thing. It's the cross of our Savior. He says, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Personalizing it here. We boast. The true Christian boasts only in the Savior's cross. We need to understand this morning that the cross of Jesus is a shameful thing. It is. We don't usually think we, you know, we put a, a cross in, you know, we make a cross in gold and we put it on a chain and we wear it around our neck or we put it on a bracelet or we put it on a lapel pin or something and we, you know, we, we, we you go around, I, you know, I, don't, I don't, I haven't gone around to check your houses, but I would imagine if you go around many of your homes, you might even find a cross somewhere in your house on display. The cross is a shameful thing. The cross is. It's 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 a it's a, a horrifying. It's not it's not for polite company. You see, the cross is not something that you just discuss in in open uh, you know conversation with people. It's offensive. But do you realize something else? And this is what what I really want you to get this morning. The cross is a shameful thing, but so are our sins. That's why the cross is so shameful. Because the cross for us represents our sin. I mean, that's really what it is. It represents the shame of our sin. The shame of my sin. 
and of your sin this morning. And Christ died for those shameful sins. And so He went to that shameful cross. You and I, if we're truly a Christian this morning, we have to accept the offense of, of carrying around the name of someone who was crucified. Jesus Christ. Who hung in shame on that cross. And please don't doubt it. It was not a glorious day. It was not a day in which you or I would have enjoyed looking on our Savior. It was a shameful day. Because our sin, our sin, was on display on Him. But you know, this is, this is where I want to try and explain this because I say a true Christian boasts only in a Savior's cross. What does that mean? Well, boys and girls, you can listen to this and then we're going to look at a verse here really quickly. But Paul says here, I glory, or I, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here is talking about Boasting in the cross. He's talking about not boasting in himself. In other words, there's a, there's a turning away from himself here. This is where I want you to see this. This is important. This is the first principle here. This is in your notes, boys and girls. It's choosing to glorify Christ instead of ourselves. That's what it means to boast in the cross of Christ. <coughs> we choose to glorify Christ. We choose to exalt Him. Rather than exalt ourselves, you see, the other alternative is for me to stand before God and say, God, look at me. I am a pretty good person. You should accept me because of who I am. Because I'm not as bad as... Or because I did this thing once. Or because I went to this church. Or I said this prayer. Whatever it is. And we stand before God and say, God, look at me. But the true Christian says, don't look at me. Please don't look at me. Don't look at me at all. Look at Christ. God, when you look at me, don't look at me. Look at Christ. We glorify Christ. That's what Paul says here. And, and I need some help. Michael, I need you to help me with this one. Philippians 3, verse 3. Paul says this. Michael, would you read that nice and loud for us? I love that verse. And by the way, and, and this is, you, if you get the paper back there, you can look a little more into this, but Philippians 3, this passage is a wonderful passage, and I wanted to do more with it, but just, we're just touching this verse. What is Paul saying about his, his flesh, himself? Is there any reason, Paul says, for me to glory in myself? No, he says, I have no confidence in the flesh. Nothing, he says. I don't depend on my flesh at all. And here he's talking about those of us who are true Christians, he says we worship God in the Spirit and we rejoice in Christ Jesus. That's our focus. He receives glory, you see. We glorify Him. We don't put confidence in the flesh. The second thing here is, what does it mean to boast only in our Savior's cross? It's choosing Jesus Christ over the world. It's choosing Jesus Christ. Paul says that in, in the next part of verse 14 there. He talks about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
When we become a Christian, and I mean that in a real sense of the word, in the biblical sense of the word, what does it mean? It means we turn away from the world. Paul says it here, we're crucified to the world and the world is crucified to us. Wait a second, I thought Christ was the one on the cross. I thought He's the one that died on the cross. He is. But Paul says that in Christ on the cross, something else happens to us. There is a death that occurs. Now look at this really carefully here. Galatians 2.20, Paul says it this way. Uh, Let's see, who else can read really good? Uh, uh, Callie. (laughs) I really will get your names right. Callie, can you read this for us nice and loud? Crucified? No longer? Christ? There you go. Very good. Okay, Galatians 2.20. Paul says, listen, I have been crucified. Yes, it was Christ on the cross. But I died on that cross. And Paul says, but I'm not dead. I'm continuing to live. Obviously, he's not speaking literally about his own physical death on a cross. Jesus died physically, literally, on a cross. But Paul is speaking here figuratively of his own association with Christ. He says, hey, when I became a Christian, I died with Christ. I don't live anymore. Now Christ lives in me. That's exactly what I think Paul is talking about here. Choosing Jesus Christ over the world. The Christian... When you became a Christian, there was a definite break that occurred between you and the world. It's as if we were on the cross being crucified, so we no longer have any loyalty to the world, and the world no longer has any power over us. That's what Paul's talking about. If you were in Sunday school, if you were in Sunday school, you heard a little a little bit of the nuance of this. We do not have to sin anymore as Christians. There's been a definite break. And the world has no longer any control over us. Logical question, and this is totally separate from my message, but the logical question is then why do we let it have control of us? And again, if you're here in Sunday school... uh, Reference was made to Romans chapter 6. Read Romans chapter 6. That's a great place to start answering that question. Why do we let the world have control of us? Let's go on because I don't want to get bogged down here. Verse 15. Paul tells us the second point here. Not only does a true Christian boast in his Savior's cross, but there's something important we need to understand that religion does not please God. We must become a new creation. Religion does not please God. We must become a new creation. This statement flies in the face of every, of every one of the world's religions, including many that call themselves Christian. As I said at the beginning, it's not until we confess the complete emptiness of all of our religious efforts, the futility of our attempts at self-righteousness, that we can even begin to understand When the Bible talks about salvation by grace. In other words, as long as you or I 
continue to think that being a good, moral person, having been baptized or taking communion or coming to church is good in God's eyes, we can't really understand what it means to be born again. And so as long as that's what you're holding on to this morning, as long as you're still clinging to some sort of work, some sort of effort, some sort of religious activity you have done or are doing, if that's what you would point at, if I said to you, hey, how do you know you're a Christian today? And that's what you point at. You say, well, I've been baptized, or I go to church, or I take communion, or I do this, or I do that, then guess what? You don't understand what it means to be born again. I'm not saying that to insult you, but I'm telling you the truth. Because that's what Paul says here in verse 15. For in Christ, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. What he's talking here about is obeying and keeping the law of God. Listen, he says, as a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. If you try to obey the law of God, guess what? It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't avail anything. All that religious effort, all that stuff we expend trying to make God happy with us, it doesn't work. We come up with empty hands. The expression we keep coming back to in our men's Bible study, it's grasping at the wind. That's what it is. It's worthless. It's a wasted effort. Religion doesn't please God. Paul says, though, the end of verse 15, what does he say? But a new creation. That's the key. That's the one thing that has to be true. Now let's look at how this works out because Paul explains, I can I want to explain this in a couple of statements here. The first is this, very simply, our good works stand in the way of the cross of Christ. Our good works stand in the way of the cross of Christ. Romans chapter 4, Paul says this. Let's see, who else? Grace, can you read this for us? Godly, accounted, very good. Paul in Romans chapter 4, we don't have time to look at the whole context of that. Paul is not saying that what we do doesn't matter, or that behavior doesn't matter. He's not arguing that, hey, do whatever you want to do. What he is saying is this, if we make self-effort to please God, not only does it not add up to anything, it actually prevents us from receiving the grace of God. We can't receive God's grace because if we are trying to earn it, Paul says, it is something that is owed to us. Just like when we work a job. When we work a day uh, for our employer, we deserve to be paid. Because we have worked and earned it. It wasn't a gift to us. The employer didn't just say, well, I'm generous today. I'll pay you. No. It's earned. We earn it. It's ours. By right. But Paul says, the one who stops working doesn't work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. He Receives righteousness, you see. And so, our good works actually stand in the way. The longer we persist in doing good works, the longer we keep God's grace at bay. 
But there's another aspect of this I want to point out to you in this. It's that our righteousness can only come from Christ by faith. See, Paul in Galatians 6 and verse 15 is telling us the works, works won't avail anything. We must be the new creation. There must be some, some power of grace in us. How does that look? Well, it's not our self-righteousness. That's what we do ourselves. It's the righteousness that comes from Christ. And how do we receive it? By faith. That's it. Romans 4 and verse 24. Paul says this. Let's see. Um, Okay, hold on. I'll get... uh, Matthew. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really trying with the names. Matthew, can you read this for us? I know you're a really good reader too. This is a tough verse though. That first word, righteousness. Imputed. Great job. What is Paul telling us in this verse? Righteousness shall be imputed or credited in uh, or to us who work, to us who go to church, to us who uh, get baptized, to us who take communion, to us who are good moral people, uh-uh. to us who believe. How do we receive righteousness? not by ourselves. It's not by our works and our efforts. This is the the teaching of Scripture. This is the essence of the new creation teaching. Why does Paul talk about a new creation? Not just here, but in Corinthians. Why? Because you and I need to get this point. We, people, as we naturally are, cannot be righteous before God. It's an impossibility. You and I as people, it is absolutely impossible for us to be righteous before God. It cannot be done. And that would be a really hopeless thing if if it weren't for the cross of Jesus Christ. Because we are dependent completely on Him for His righteousness. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ. It means to receive something that is not in us already. You understand? Creation, that means making something new that didn't exist before. In us as we are, it doesn't exist. We don't have righteousness. We don't have the capacity for it. We need God to do some creative work in us. We need to be born again. That means we need the righteousness of Christ in us. Now, I want to get back to this because there's actually one passage of Scripture we haven't touched on that I really, really want to get to today. But I'm just going to go through this quickly because we're to the end. We come back to this question that I asked earlier. Can we be followers of Jesus Christ and still please the world? This is the question that Paul is really answering here. Is it possible? 
Well, what's Paul's answer? Paul's answer is very simple. It is impossible to do anything worthy of glory in ourselves. It's impossible. It can't be done. We don't have the ability to do anything. Um, turn with me, if you will, First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at this couple of verses here and then we're going to be done. But First Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to look at three verses. I really wanted to look at the whole passage starting in verse 17, go to the end of the chapter, but there was no chance that was happening today. But I would recommend you take a little time this week to read it and study this whole thing out. But, but in 1 Corinthians 1, and we can look all the way down, we're going to, be, we're going to look right there in verse, uh, well, let's start verse 26. Okay. But we won't read all those verses. Uh, I just want to look at verse 29 here. Oh, man, that's really dark. That didn't work out well. None of the kids will be able to read that. Verse 29, Paul says this, that no flesh should glory in His presence. In the context of this passage, Paul explains that God has overthrown human strength. God has overthrown human wisdom. And and what did He use to overthrow human wisdom and strength? He used foolishness and weakness. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? How can foolishness overcome wisdom? How can weakness overcome strength? It's impossible. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense to us. But what it teaches us is that the the weak and the foolish things of God are more deserving of glory and are more powerful and wise than all of the things that belong to us. Think of the most powerful. Think of the most wise men. And compared to the foolish and weak things of God, they are nothing. That's what he's telling us here. There is absolutely no accomplishment or ability for which a man or woman would stand before God and brag. And that's exactly the way it ought to be. That's what Paul is telling us. No flesh should glory in His presence. However great we think we are, however good we think we are, however righteous we think we are, if we stand before God, we realize I have nothing to brag about. I have nothing to boast in. It is impossible for us to do anything worthy of glory. But pay attention to this. And boys and girls, you're almost done filling out the notes. You've got to listen really carefully here. This passage goes on to teach us this. We cannot be self-righteous and have Jesus' righteousness. These two things exclude one another. We cannot be self-righteous and have Jesus' righteousness. And part of what it means to become a Christian is to relinquish our grip on our own goodness. But this is very difficult to do. And why is this difficult to do? Because we all want to think that we're pretty decent people, right? I don't know anybody in this room who's not a pretty decent person. I don't. We lived here in Elkhorn for three years. And I've had a chance to get to know many of you and, and lots of other people around town in this area. And most, almost everybody that I've met that I can think of is a pretty decent person. We're all pretty decent people. So, hey, I'm okay. You're okay. 
Certainly, I mean, God must love us because we're pretty good people and, you know, we're kind of cute maybe, a little lovable. I don't know, something, right? And there's got to be some reason why God would like us. But being a Christian, we understand, you know, what this verse teaches us, this is the next verse in 1 Corinthians 1, Christ Jesus became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Guess what? He became righteousness for us. He became our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, He replaces all that in us. It can't be our wisdom. It can't be our righteousness and our sanctification and our own redemption. We can't do it. That's what the cross is all about. Ed Welch, and I came across this quote this week. I thought it was really good. If we think we are usually good, then God is usually irrelevant. So as long as you and I persist in thinking we're pretty good, decent people, that means what we're saying is, God, we don't really need you here. Just kind of butt out and leave us to ourselves. Let's move on. We're almost finished here. Verse 31, we learn this principle. Not only can we not be self-righteous and have Jesus' righteousness, but we can't glory in the Lord and glory in ourselves. Again, these two things don't operate together. We can't glory in the Lord and glory in ourselves. So Paul says in verse 31, man, it's, it's dark. I don't think I was going to turn out that way. The conclusion of this, that, it, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. This is the focus. If we're going to glory, who do we glory in? Ourselves? Our flesh? No. If we're going to glory, we glory in the Lord. If we're going to boast, we boast in the Lord. That's what Christians do. We boast in the cross of Christ. We don't boast in our own flesh. This is the answer to our question. Is it really possible to be followers of Christ and still please the world? No. The cross of Jesus Christ is offensive to those who are not followers of Christ. But true followers willingly receive the offense because we know that we're guilty before God. We're without hope if not for the cross of Christ. In just a moment, we're going to sing together. We're going to sing the song that we just heard a lady sing earlier in the service. You may not know it yet, but you'll learn it. It's called The Power of the Cross. This hymn focuses our attention on the shame and the guilt and the cruel suffering and the agony of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But it also reminds us that it is only at the cross where we find the forgiveness of our sins. It isn't through our good works. It's through His righteous obedience that we can sing, and we will, death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. For through your suffering, I am free. This is the power of the cross. But I wonder this morning, have you experienced for yourself the power of the cross? Maybe you're like one of the Judaizers that Paul was responding to here in the letter of Galatians. You know that what the Bible says about Jesus, and maybe even you believe that it's true, but you just can't quite bring yourself to admit that you are a guilty sinner whose most righteous deeds add up to nothing in God's ledger. 
Will you humble yourself before Christ today? He took all of your guilt and shame on Himself so that you could receive robes of His righteousness. But we first have to embrace the truth of the cross of Christ. He's promised that if you will turn to Him in faith and ask Him to forgive your sins, He'll give you eternal life. Now maybe you already know the power of the cross. Maybe you already trusted in Christ. As I thought about that this week, you know, I thought, like so many other things, does it just become kind of a another just piece of the furniture? It just becomes something that's every day that just doesn't doesn't cause us to marvel anymore. But do you marvel at the love of God which caused him to send Christ to the cross? When was the last time you told someone else about it? When was the last time you sang praises to Him? And I don't mean just here in church when everybody around you is doing it. I don't even necessarily mean just by yourself. We've talked about that a little bit. But when was the last time in the company of your unsaved neighbors or family members or co-workers you sang the praises of your Savior? Because of what He did for you on the cross. You know, maybe this week you have the opportunity to share your testimony with someone, to give them a track, to sing the praises, to boast in the cross of Christ, your Savior. Will you prayerfully commit to doing that this week? Take time to boast in the cross of Christ. Now, I'd like to ask you before we sing to take the communication card that was in your bulletin. I'd like to ask you to fill it out. Joy's going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to pray and then Joy's going to begin to play through this hymn for us. And I'm going to ask you to fill that card out as she's playing through the hymn. You can listen to her while you fill it out. I'd like to be able to pray with you this week if there's something, some need in your heart, some area maybe of personal struggle or weakness, some prayer request you'd like to share or something that you... Maybe something you need help with. I'd like to ask you to, to write it down on the back of that card and when the offering plate comes by in a few minutes, you can put it in the offering plate. I'd like to minister to you if there's some way that I can. And I want us to think about and reflect on the cross of Christ. So let's close with prayer and then Joy's going to play and in a minute we're going to sing the power of the cross.